Welcome to the Mobile Dev Memo Podcast. I am your host, Eric Sufert. Before I introduce my guest for this episode of the podcast, I have a bit of administrative business. My course, Modern Mobile Marketing at Scale, is currently running a holiday discount for 20% off with the code MDMPOD20. No spaces, all uppercase. The code is MDMPOD20. And the course can be found at learn-mobile-marketing.com. The course is five hours over seven modules and provides a comprehensive overview of the mechanics of advertising auctions, optimal reporting and analytics setup, bid and budget strategy, targeting, and two very practical modules on Facebook and Google execution specifically. Also, critically, the course was recently updated with an entire module dedicated to iOS 14, which, which explains exactly how mobile marketing will change with the deprecation of the IDFA. Again, the course website is learn-mobile-marketing.com, and the code for a 20% discount is MDMPOD20, all uppercase, no space. Okay, that out of the way, welcome to the podcast. My guest today is Grant Harbin, who is the founder and CEO of Headlight, a marketing agency. Prior to Headlight, Grant was the VP of growth at KixEye, the developer behind games such as War Commander, Battle Pirates, and Backyard Monsters. I've known Grant for a number of years and have always considered him a sharp and thoughtful voice in mobile marketing, and so I was happy to have him on to discuss a subject that I feel has come to the fore recently, the conditions under which it makes sense to outsource user acquisition to an agency. As we discussed in the podcast, my view on this topic has evolved recently. Platforms like Facebook and Google have become deeply automated, which displaces most of the effort of user acquisition into creative production and most of, of the strategy into funnel design, in-product personalization, and monetization modeling. Given all of this, at what level of spend or what level of product maturity does it make sense for a company to in-house user acquisition versus outsource to an agency? Grant and I discuss exactly that in this episode of the Mobile Dev Memo podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Grant, how are you? Good, man. I am um, in Manhattan, just um, weathering the, the storm here, getting ready for a lockdown and it's uh it's Black Friday week, obviously, so a busy time for marketers everywhere. But um, was stoked to to get on the podcast with you. Excited to have a conversation. Yeah, well, I'm excited to have you here. And we uh, we we scheduled this a couple weeks after me reaching out because you had COVID. <laughs> I did have I did have COVID. It wasn't um, too scary for for me. Um, just a couple weeks of. Uh, being a little out of it. Um, so grateful it, I, I um, didn't have it uh, so bad and ready to um, ready to get back into the swing of things. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you recovered and I'm glad sure. that uh, that you're in fighting shape for this for this interview because it's going to be a tough <laughs> one. No, I'm, just, I'm joking. I'm ready. Um, I'm ready. Gloves out. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I just introduced you um, in uh, in my sort of monologue. But uh, why don't you kind of take a second to uh, walk people through your background um, and introduce yourself in your own words? Sure. Um, let's see, where do, where do I start? Um, my background in growth um, started you know, nine and a half years ago. I um, was actually an, an English teacher um, living abroad and, and kind of lucked my way into an, an internship at a, at a gaming company. And um, called Kickside and, and ended up staying there for a long time in a variety of roles, although all kind of growth and performance marketing focused. Um, 
and you know, helped them scale to you know a little over 800 million in gross revenue and was leading our growth org for the the last few years, which was you know a combination of paid media and, and lifecycle marketing and then our shared kind of data science uh, team. Um, I left uh, a few years back and was consulting um, just as a holding pattern. Um, was hesitant to jump back into a full-time role anywhere. Um, and you know, you can attest to this. There's so much demand right now for for growth expertise, and especially people who can provide kind of strategic oversight as well as execution. So things kind of snowballed from there. And I, I brought along um, a few super talented performance marketers that that I'd worked with before, and um, that sort of naturally evolved into into Headlight. And here we are, two years later. It's been uh, it's been a blast. Yeah, I remember. Um... I think we had we had lunch right around the time you were kicking off uh, Headlight, and um, I would say that actually it was probably a different environment back then. Do you agree? So that was what, like two two and a half, three years ago. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would. Um, it's hard to uh, understand the timeline, but I am sure uh, you know things things change so quickly in this in this industry that um, I'm pretty I'm pretty used to it. But yeah, it's it's a different world, certainly, especially given. Uh, you know, 2020 and all the things that have brought uh, for the world and obviously for for mobile marketers specifically. Yeah, because we were having, I mean, what what sort of the catalyst for this uh, for this podcast? We, we were we were discussing this um, maybe like two weeks ago, and um, about you know, discussing uh, in housing or in housing versus going with an agency, and discussing the kind of the the sort of calculus um, mm-hmm. behind that decision. And I mean, I think part of the reason why I say that was a different world, um, you know, the one in, you know, in which you formed Headlight was because I actually, my sort of attitude towards this has probably, has probably changed a lot since then, right? So mm-hmm. I, I used to be pretty like adamant that, you know, past some pretty minimum scale, it makes, it makes sense to just in-house. It makes sense to, to, to build a team in-house and start building the data infrastructure. Um, and I feel like I've, that stance has changed and I feel like it makes more sense now to outsource. And we were kind of just, uh riffing on this um and i feel like Mm -hmm. i've kind of been more recruited to your side of the argument (laughs) just recently just just given that um given the kind of changing landscape you know a the changes that we're all anticipating Mm -hmm. right um with idfa stuff and uh, you know i don't need to go into that but b um the just the, the the sort of the the differentiation in um kind of monetization patterns and the way that it probably just doesn't make sense to build out some of that internal expertise now, given how much heavy lifting some of the platforms do. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and the, the sort of lack of competitive advantage that, you, that is presented by, by building all this stuff internally now versus, versus four to five years ago, where that was almost the, the kind of driving um, differentiator between, for your business. Right, if you were especially, if, especially in mobile gaming, right, which is so yeah. commoditized, but like even in some other m- mobile verticals, it was like, okay, well, that that business is successful relative to its competitors because it does UA better, right? It does mobile advertising better. Um, and so that was kind of the, the background on, on bringing you on. Um, sure. And so I guess that kind of sets up the first question I have for you pretty well, which is what what yeah. surprised you most about about building your agency, about establishing your agency. Um. So it's hard to say what's what's been surprising just in virtue of the fact that this is the you know the first company that I've built and what's unique to an agency specifically. Um, I would say what stands out to me is just 
the the scale at which you're able to leverage yourself and, and leverage your team just in terms of um, just the sheer output and, and value value you're able to create um, for, a, for a lot of different companies. Uh, I think that's due to a couple of things. One, it's, you know, I think there's, I think there's a mismatch in, in terms of knowledge work and kind of the employment and labor model that we have with companies today. That's, you know, kind of an artifact of the industrial revolution. Um, and, you know, being in a more of a formal buyer seller relationship with, with this kind of service kind of removes you from some of the pageantry around employment and kind of get to cut straight to the chase in terms of what creates value and, and, and outcomes. And that tends to be, you know, five to 10% of what you're doing is really creating um, all of the value in a, in a relationship or, or in a problem. Um, but, you know, I, I think that also has to do with just the reality of um, running a bootstrapped company, you know, making payroll. And I, I any any client can fire us at any time. So there's no um, there's no resting, really. And, and I think you surprise yourself just um, with with the amount of, of output you're able to achieve when, uh, you know, there's there's a threat of death around the corner. I think that's that's been the number one surprise. The other, I think, which is perhaps shouldn't be much of a surprise is just uh, the value of skillful relationship building and, and communication um, is, is what really drives success in, in any kind of partnership. Um, I would say I have much more respect for, for sales and, and business development, just kind of all of the work that goes into building a, a great partnership between a service provider and, and, a, and a customer. Yeah, I think I can um, second that around, you know, the importance of sales. I just, I never recognize that kind of as just an employee at a company, right? Because like I was focused on what I was doing and we built, you know, especially as a, sure. as a consumer company, you don't do sales that much. Like, um, Yeah, and your primary interaction is usually with, you know, an army of SDRs that uh, right. are cold calling annoying. and cold emailing and it's, it's yeah. annoying, but you know, ads are annoying too. So um, <laughs> we're in a glass house there. Well, speak, speak for yourself, man. I love getting a perfectly targeted ad. It, it brightens my day. Um, and it makes me appreciate our capitalist framework. Um, Likewise, and I, I, you tweeted, uh, I think a couple of months ago that you think targeted advertising is, is a public good and I actually very much agree with that sentiment. It's certainly not a widely held one, although, um, <laughs> we're, we're perhaps a little biased in that respect. Yeah, maybe we keep, we keep veering into these very philosophical topics that I would love to just go off on all day, but, um, <laughs> I want, I kind of want to steer us back, steer us back to, to sort of what I was getting at just, just before was like which was that I think that if there was that idea of, hey, the, the kind of um, the critical mass for needing mm -hmm. to in-house everything is X. And now critical mass being like, just, just spend, right? Just, just budget. I mean, like as a company, there being a threshold past which it does not make sense to outsource your advertising anymore that you should bring it all in-house. I feel like there was a very kind of, concrete um threshold right there was like a number and and now i just feel like that that's that's less uh that's less concrete that's that's much more amorphous and in some cases just doesn't exist do you, can you kind of walk us through that what do you see with your clients and, and what what is yeah. just your own personal take on that so i think i think my uh shift in perspective is, is similar to yours i was coming from you know almost seven years and in, running in-house and um worked with my fair share of bad agencies and, and a couple of good ones. And I was fairly adamant that, you know, in-house is the way to go. And that's what, you know, leads to, you know, highest likelihood of, of success. 
Um, and obviously I'm running an agency now, so my, my opinion is a bit different and I, I could be biased, but I'm also, you know, putting my money where my mouth is, so to speak. In my, in my view, there's no number. I think there are, you know, successful agency relationships. There are successful, you know, in-house teams um, and there are unsuccessful ones. And I think that can work at, at most any stage of a company and, and at any scale. Um, it's just a question of kind of what the resources you have at your disposal at the time and um, what, what kind of trade-offs you want to make. Um, I think there's a lot that's correct about the, you know, the perspective that we used to have that um, in-house is always better. Um, one, I think, I mean, if we're, in the interest of fairness, I can start with the obvious cons of an, of an agency or at least your, your typical agency relationship. Um, one, I think if, if performance marketing is going to be your core growth lever, and I think most companies have, you know, one at most two levers that are really going to propel them to escape velocity. I think you absolutely need to build and retain that competency uh, at a firm level to, to be successful. So, you know, strategic integration with the product and, and the business model, um, a good comprehension of performance economics and measurement at the executive level and the C-suite level, especially. That's where that's where the leverage and, uh, is and where, where success uh, is created. I don't think that mm -hmm. that does not rule out partnering with service providers at all, but it does yeah. it does kind of rule out this idea of outsourcing uh, versus insourcing. I think that's that's kind of a binary that is a bit outmoded and there's a lot of kind of legacy um, business models uh, where people get confused and um, there's, there's a lot of complexity I think that you abstract away from when you're just saying, you know, in-house uh, versus outsource. Um, and, and obviously too, you know, it goes without saying your media and agency is at best incompetent and at worst predatory and you know we don't need to rehash all of the the familiar refrains here but i think there's a there's been a pretty dramatic lack of uh, quality providers um mm -hmm. generally speaking and there's a lot of reasons for that in terms of incentive structures and all of that but i think it's created an opportunity for um you know progressive uh firms to who, who you know take quality and experience seriously and and kind of have a, a more integrated and consultative model to, to be really successful and i think you're seeing that um right now and i think when it when you get it right um there's a lot of advantages i think to an agency one is velocity um hiring is difficult obviously hiring the wrong person is is six to 12 month setback yeah. um and being at having you know a turnkey team and resource at your disposal um that can move quickly can be really valuable especially when you know you're working on a compressed uh time cycle if you're uh, you know high growth startup um, and it, it gives you a bit of optionality, too, in terms of who you're committing to building a team around, um, especially if you, you don't know what your core channels are going to be or if you want to bring in a, a head of growth who's um, more focused on you know, partnerships and product growth and, and all of that. Um, I think it's easier nowadays to um, have a partner be handling paid media um, and also have a partner who um is able to provide I, I hate the word but you know thought partnership and um strategic value which is which is difficult to find but i think you're seeing more and more of it the other thing yeah. a partner gives you i think is uh, a good ecosystem perspective um you know we're working with dozens of companies um yeah. we're under the hood and, and a lot of different verticals and platforms and that there's a lot of transfer learnings there and uh, you're able to say things and and communicate with clients in a way that maybe an employee 
couldn't in terms of just the the level of transparency and also just you know telling a client you know what's wrong with with their product and and um what maybe is not working um with their paid media program um and you can if you if you really focus on a great relationship you can you can have that level of trust and i think that's uh, super important yeah i think, I think that's i think you go ahead Oh, and I was just going to say that the last, I think, pro is increasingly, it's just a way to get access to, to great talent really quickly. I think a lot of um, really great marketers um, came to a similar conclusion that I did that, you know, you, you can leverage yourself and, and your talents more effectively by, you know, offering what you do as a service um, to companies. Um, and I, you know, every week I hear about, uh, a new friend or, or someone in my network that's, you know, starting their own shop. And I think it's great. Um, it's a great thing to see. Uh, it's easy. It's an easy, uh, you know, kind of company to start. You obviously it's, it's quite, it's quite hard to scale services and you, you learn all sorts of lessons along the way, but um, we're, we're kind of seeing a, a renaissance, I think on the, on the agency front these days. Yeah. I mean, I, that that's almost like <laughs> it's, it's almost like a cliche. Now you hear about someone, that leaves like head of growth or VP of, you know, UA or whatever, um, mm-hmm. to start up their own one man shop, which is what I did, you know, uh, or to kick, kick off an agency, which, you know, they, they intend to scale. Um, I mean, I would love to talk about that topic for forever, uh, just cause I have a lot of thoughts on it. Um, sure. but, uh, um, I want to kind of dig into two things that you said. So I'll start with the second one first, you know, building a team around someone, I feel like that's such an important concept that um, a lot of companies, especially startups, don't like fully grok. And um, they they sort of neglect um, to, to, to sort of like sufficiently uh, invest into you. And it's like, okay, if you're going to build a growth team internally, fine, you know, or yeah, that's just, a, that's a choice. Um, but you know what, you're not, especially if you're thinking about, um, UA as like the main lever of, of kind of uh, scaling the company, which it is, I think for, I mean, I would say for, for the vast majority of, especially mobile exclusive sure. companies, that person has to be excellent, right? I mean, that person needs to be scalable. That, that has to be a scalable person. And I feel like a lot of times people think like, well, okay, you know, this first hire is just some media buyer, right? And I'll just mm-hmm. hire that person. Um, and then we'll go from there. Right. And if we need, uh, you know, we'll spend our first, we'll get to hundred K a month and spend, and then, or maybe 200 K a month and spend. Mm-hmm. And then, Hey, when we scale from there, we'll hire another person. Um, and those two people will do like 400 K a month to spend, and then we'll hire another person. And those three people will do six. And it, it doesn't, things don't scale like that. And, and like, and also teams, just companies can't grow. If that's, if UA is your main lever of growth, then mm-hmm. the person leading the growth team, whether they are just managing agencies or they're actually scaling a, an in-house team has to be really, really good. And there's a, first of all, there's just a dearth of those people, right? Especially mm-hmm. in, in Silicon Valley where, you know, I lived, um, you meet a lot of people that have just sort of like um, climbed this, this ladder of job titles, right? Without yep. ever really having accomplished that much or grown. It just was a function of, of jumping from one kind of like mid, mid to big size company to another every 18 months. Right. Yeah, and you, get so, a, well, you get a lot of you get a lot of people who you know joined the right company, um, especially if it's you know an Airbnb or an Uber, right? Where they grew through compounding network effects, right? And right, it, that's the easiest performance marketing 
yeah. job you can ask for. And, uh, you know, it's a beautiful looking resume. The best performance marketers are coming from companies, um, you know, that were a struggle where, you know, right. you're doing everything you can to, to make the unit economics work. You know, every every penny matters. Um, right. Kixi was a great example there. I mean, Kixi had a lot of success and was an early mover. Um, you know, gaming is tough to scale. Um, and, you know, it was, it was always a challenge, uh, you know, meeting, meeting targets and, uh, you know, make, you make mistakes and to sit back when your, your growth is 80, 90% paid. Right. So you're, you're at the tip of the spear and um, that creates a lot of pain. And, and that's what leads to, I think, uh, a skilled performance marketer. I mean, the best performance marketer in the world is, you know, probably selling diet pills in uh, yeah. U- Ukraine or something, you know? Yeah. Just, just fighting for inches. Right. right. Like, I, well, that's the thing. I mean, I always wonder when people are like, Oh, I hired this, person former former growth at facebook i'm like what do they do they just ran a b tests like how do you know that that actually changed anything i mean like yeah oh, well there's a control or whatever but like the growth they weren't actually they weren't actually uh creating a magnet to attract new users right and they were just sort of like dealing with this tidal wave um, yeah well the, the and- people that did the people that did do that are now uh you know billionaires or like chamath or uh, right. not, not certainly not going to join your startup um versus you know someone who's the thousand the 500, 500th uh, growth PM at Facebook, you know, and they're working on uh, some very tiny subset and it's, it's very, uh, it's very locally optimized. Right. And just managing basically AB tests. It's like, what did you, how did you, and, and that person might be like, uh, you know, incredibly intelligent and it's not a knock on those people that take those jobs. I mean, certainly those, those, those people manage to get those jobs, which is a feat in and of itself. But I just feel like that's a very, very different environment. Um, than coming into a company where there is no sort of existing baseline organic um, influx, right? And you're having to build that from zero. Uh, well, what are you bringing with you? Um, but but I think there's just a there's just a there's just a, a flood of just kind of like very mediocre people um, who've kind of managed to just 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 through existing, right? Just through staying alive, mm-hmm. almost, right? Have managed to kind of uh, ascend this this. Um, this kind of uh, job title mountain and um, you know, are bad hired and are not going to be able to sort of like build a team from scratch and lead it and, and grow it. Right. And, 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 you know, grow this around them. And so like in, in the absence of a good person, like a, a, a truly skilled person who kind of understands that environment, right. Who's, who's got that muscle memory of having done it in the past and um, who can not only sort of like manage from the, cause there's also like this very awkward period where they come in and they've got to be pushing buttons, right? And maybe they don't want to. Maybe they, they haven't done that in a long time. They've got to be sort of like the doer. Um, and then they've got to grow into the manager of the doers, right? That's a very awkward kind of moment starting from zero. And like in the absence of someone really good who can do that, yeah, you're way better off with an agency. I mean, you know, obviously, they're, they're, like you said, there are agencies that, you know, at their worst, just kind of waste your money. And no one is better off in any circumstance with one of those. But if you can get an agency that's like halfway competent, you're better off with, with that agency than the person who's just like, a, you know, totally incompetent and, and, and who's not going to be able to scale anything. Um, and I feel like that, that to me, just kind of recognizing that sort of lack of expertise on the ground. And even in, in, in Silicon Valley, well, then, you, you know, to say nothing of like the sort of other markets, other labor markets that are, have just much, are just much thinner for this kind of role. Like you're just, that's, that's, if it's not, it's not going to be feasible to hire someone really good um, for these yeah, companies. And so- I, I think you're on the nose, but I think it's also, I mean, it's, it's really a universal business problem, right? You know, 90% right. of, 90% of companies are bad. 90% of employees 
are mediocre, 90% of or more agencies are quite bad, right? So it's not something I think it's unique to performance marketing, but performance marketing is unique in that um, it is very amenable to um, uh, professional services and being provided right. yeah. in that context. Uh, I think you just need to be cognizant of what you're buying with an agency and the type of engagement that you want. You know, we work with um, a lot of startups um, that, you know, it's more of a zero to one motion and we're building kind of a foundational program for them. And I absolutely think you need to hire, um, you know, a director level or above um, person who has expertise there. And we help, we help a lot of companies do that. And then typically work with that person uh, in a pretty productive capacity. And that's, mm -hmm. those kinds of engagements are more of, hey, we're a fractional VP growth and growth team for you. And mm -hmm. we're, we're working with founders and executives to, you know, answer kind of fundamental questions about the business, which is usually a performance marketing is the medium where business problems uh, arise and, and get kind of sorted out. Um, and then there's engagements that are at scale. And, you know, we work with a lot of fantastic uh, in-house uh, growth teams. Calm, Calm is um, one of our longtime clients and, you know, they're, uh, you know, fantastic competency in-house and we're plugging in as a, a resource extension, basically. Mm -hmm. But even then it still matters to have, you know, thought partnership and a shared uh, mentality on, on how things work, which I don't think you can get with uh, your your typical agency. Yeah. And I think that's that's the other thing I wanted to plant a flag in actually um, that you brought up was just the competency at the executive level um, with performance measure measurement slash um, kind of understanding the interplay between ad campaign metrics and product metrics, right? Because like, isn't that, that's just a prerequisite for being successful period, whether you're using in-house or, or agency, right? So like, how do you, um, cause I mean, you could, you could say, well, you know, look, we're coming in and, and we're working with this head of growth and that's fine. And they're pretty good. Um, but the exec team just is like, well, we're hiring you. So we don't have to think about that stuff is, I mean, that must be like a red flag. You must, do you see that a lot? Um, yeah, we've certainly had a spectrum in terms of the level of, you know, pre-existing familiarity or, or desired involvement with an executive, um, all else equal the more kind of strategically involved and kind of that the executive is and how willing they are to kind of partner and be very transparent and, and have great conversations and, and whatnot with their agency, the more successful the engagement is. I think a lot of it is a function of how far along the, the company is. I mean, you know, product market fit is a, a spectrum, right? Mm -hmm. And there's product market fit where you're able to spend low six figures a month um, with successful unit economics and, no one can answer whether or not that's going to scale or not. Those are kind of fundamental product and market puzzles. And you ultimately, it's an empirical exercise, right? Um, it's always a tough conversation to, you know, tell a founder that, you know, marginal CAC is going to rise exponentially, mm -hmm. uh, all else being equal, unless there are, you're fundamentally under investing or um, your, your market is super large. And sometimes that is the case and it's great. Um, but a lot of the times it's, you know, you just move on to the next step and there's new, new problems to solve and you, you just chip away at it over time and, and be disciplined. But do you, do you, so, but do you, would you, could you envision a, a, a scenario and maybe this has happened to you in the past and maybe it's just a hypothetical where you come in and the CEO is like, look, we want to hire you. Um, you know, uh, I, you, you just handle this and I need you to spend, I don't know, 10 million a month by the end of this year right scale to that um and the product is just 
it's the product, right? It's ready. It's ready for that. I know it. I can feel it. Um, mm-hmm. And what I look at are, you know, retention or not even like, not even, not even retention, but like, yeah, I look at, um, I look at, yeah, I look at the product metrics, right? So I'm looking at retention. I'm looking at ARPU and all that kind of stuff. And so, you, and, 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 you know, you know, in that situation, you start to scale and those metrics are going to degrade at some, you know, increasing level of budget, right? Just because they do, right? Uh, yeah. And they're going to blame you and they're going to say, well, you're bringing in bad traffic, right? Like you're not good at your job. <laughs> you, like it would, cause, and you could just sort of foresee this happening. Is that like a, hey, yeah. we're not the right fit? Or how is that just you just turn them down? Um, it's always a tough problem to evaluate from the outside. I think, you know, the mentality described, it's very frequent with, uh, you know, especially the CEO. And that's, that's one reason why they have a successful company is they're kind of, you know, they have the, the ambition and, and the confidence um, and they set aggressive expectations with people and expect them to, to deliver. And um, it is fair sometimes that, you know, they don't, they have much bigger problems to solve and they just want to hand this problem to somebody. Um, and that can work. Uh, typically there's an educational process and that's just a question of, you know, empathy and, and building trust. And, um, that tends to work well. Sometimes it doesn't, sometimes the product is not ready and it's, it's not a great fit. Um, and you move on. And I think that's one pro of an agency is you have someone to blame when something's not ready, uh, and you can fire them mm. quickly and, and move on. Right. And that's totally valid, uh, outcome, um, so yeah, it's 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 one of the thornier problems. You're, you're especially with startups. You you have to navigate a uh, founder's psychology and and work with them at, at their level. Yeah, I mean to be fair, the same thing could happen with an in-house team. I mean I've seen that happen a million times. Absolutely. So the product the product team is just it's just a finger pointing um, Mexican standoff, right? Like hey, well they're you're bringing in bad traffic. It's like oh no, the product sucks. <laughs> so it's like well yeah. okay, here we are at an impasse. Um, yeah, yeah I, especially early stage, like the skill set you need for like a head of growth, which is uh, such an ambiguous title, changes yeah. really quickly. Like early stage, you need a you need a scrappy generalist who can, uh, you know, build an email template and um, mm-hmm. do things that don't scale. Um, sometimes that person can evolve into a scaled performance marketer. Sometimes uh, they don't. A lot of times, I see you know a stage startups wanting to bring in a really steeled head of performance marketing and user acquisition. And they're not able to attract that level of talent yet because, you mm-hmm. know, pure performance marketers want to come into a situation where things are de-risked a bit and they're coming in to, you know, 500K, $1 million a month budget and coming in to scale that, right? Because that, mm-hmm. that's a huge proof, proof point, I think, for a company. And that, that's where, you know, a, a very um, tactical, uh, you know, tactician performance marketing craftsmen can, can come in and excel versus uh, an earlier stage startup where it's more of a general business uh, skill set and product skill set. What happens to those people? Like they come, like they, I get hired in as a head of growth at, you know, seed startup A and I'm having to do email templates and landing pages and I have to set up Google Analytics on our website and I'm also running, you know, 10K a month in Facebook ads what, ha- what happens to me, right? As the company scales, we, 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 we sort of prove out product market fit, raise, raise a big A round. What happens? Do I get sort of cast aside? Like someone gets hired in above me. I mean, that's also part of the problem, isn't it? With hiring good people at that stage. Yeah. And I think um, that's, that's a pretty common path is they'll either, you know, the, the company will outgrow them or they'll outgrow the company. Um, and it doesn't work. You know, I think, I think it was the the Spotify CEO who said it's you know 
you're bringing when you're hiring at a you know high growth startup, you're you're bringing someone in for really a tour of duty. That's six, mm-hmm. 12, 18 months. They're coming in for a very defined mission, and you're hiring for them to execute on that immediate objective. Whether or not they can scale beyond that um, and grow with the company and move on to a new tour of duty, so to speak, I think that's a bonus, right? Um, and I think that's that's very true, and I think that that also lends itself to professional services, right? Um, we're usually coming in with a, with a defined mission. That's, that can be a zero to one type engagement that can be mm-hmm. a turnaround situation. We've had a lot of um, had distressed uh, COVID companies where we came in um, to kind of help steer the ship yeah. or, you know, there's a lot of churn and we come in to, you know, rebuild a portfolio or sometimes it's the company's doing extremely well and it's just, they want more resources, right? And, and we're yeah. kind of a, a, a pinch hitter. So yeah, we don't, we don't, the long-term agency of record model is, is dead. Um, I don't think you really outsource anything right now. You know, it, it's going to look, agencies will, will look more like, you know, McKinsey than, than McCann, right? That's mm-hmm. consultative, uh, super integrated and just, you know, thought partnership, um, is just as important as media execution. That, I mean, I think that that's, um, it's a really interesting uh, point. Do, do you compete with McKinsey in any meaningful way? Have they dipped their toe into this kind of work? Uh, I have not, uh, certainly not come across McKinsey in, a, in an RFP. Um, I would hope so. Maybe ask me in a couple of years. Yeah, but right. I do think, well, there's there's levels to this, right? You, you The holding companies and uh, that world and the centers of the world, that's a very massive, uh, massive ecosystem that you don't really see working in startups and, and tech companies right. um, and it's order of magnitude larger um, than um, what you see as, you know, performance marketer in Silicon Valley or, or just in, in this ecosystem in general. And, you know, we've, um, we've certainly scratched um, the surface there and, you know, you'd be shocked at um, the kind of agency relationships that we'll see, especially with maybe legacy retail companies or, or enterprises. Um yeah. You know, we, we've had a situation where the agency refused to, you know, provide access to um, an ad account or a Google MCC account to the client or to uh, a consultant, right? And that threatening, you know, legal action. And, you know, they're all locked into one to two year terms. Um, they're wasting tons of money on retargeting. And it's just, it's, it's a political exercise huh. almost. Um, so there, there are levels to agency badness, right? There are plenty of bad, you know, boutique performance oriented shops, but, um, it's night and day versus what you see a lot of the times with, um, these bigger engagements. Yeah. T- tell me about that. Like what, what differentiates and, and staying within the realm of like the, you know, mm-hmm. kind of m- mobile exclusive performance, uh, marketing agencies, what, what differentiates the good from the bad? Um, it's a good question. I mean, I would say we're, we're certainly not mobile exclusive. I, we're, probably half and half at this point, it, we very much set out to build a, a cross-platform company. I think that's going to be uh, super critical over the next couple of years, but that's a whole separate conversation. As far as what differentiates, I mean, there's no kind of hack or tool um, that creates a successful agency. It's really just down to skill, uh, rigor, the experience of the team uh, that you've brought on. Um, that matters a whole lot. And I think, you had a crop of new school agencies that, you know, um, came around over the last seven years where mobile was very new and 
Facebook was very new and no one knew what they were doing and everyone was was uh, young and as much of kids. And now you have kind of a new crop um, emerging where people are coming in with, you know, a serious level of uh, often in-house experience and I think yeah. can craft a more, you know, concierge level and, and strategically focused engagement model, which I think is is where uh, you really get success. So like for r- running media, there's never really a single optimization point, right? Like a CPA target or a ROAS target. You always have a, you know, a set of competing priorities from a business mm-hmm. standpoint in terms of where the company is at in its life cycle, its capital situation, yeah. what's the risk tolerance there? What do they need to hit a B round? Um, there are all sorts of complex trade-offs. So you really need someone who can kind of play that meta game with a founder and an executive team in terms of calibrating a growth program to um, business realities and product realities. And I think that's a skill set that a lot of agencies can't bring to the to the table. They're just coming in with a target and, and running an account. And um, that's an easy thing to do. And a lot of people have made a lot of money that way, but I think they are, they are vulnerable uh, now and over the next, you know, five to 10 years in terms of the skill set they're bringing to the table, because that's ultimately all going to be, you know, automated. Yeah. I think the other, the other issue is, and whether, you know, be this with an agency partner or just an in-house person, there's not one, there's not one goal. There's not one goal. And that's what, that's the issue that I have with the, the, the growth hacker mentality. And, and this even, I, I even attribute this to Chamath, right? He was the one who invented this idea of the North Star, right? And that just doesn't work. That, that doesn't work. I mean, it's a, it's a really simple, cheap heuristic um, that doesn't scale. Like, you can't tell me that, like, you know, getting to 100 users is, well, then you're going to focus on a specific uh, audience target Right. And, and what happens if like, you know, why is that, why is that different? Why, why is the hundred better given some existing audience target versus 50 for a different one or 200 for a different one? I mean, like there's just there, it's, it's, it's a, it, there's, there's multiple axes to this. It's not just one sort of, uh, you know, axis that you're, that you're looking at and evaluating good versus bad on. And that's the other problem with like, you know, going to an agency cause, or, you know, it could be right. Or a bad agency that's just looking to sort of, um, uh, just to spend money on media without actually being like immersed in the product is like, well, okay, what's our optimization metric? Well, there's no optimization metric, right? We want to get more money in than we spend. And there's a bunch of, you know, metrics underlying that, that you have to interpret in, in real time, right? And in a segmented way. And like, so D0 for this particular campaign, uh, D0 ROAS for this particular campaign might be um, profitable at us on a sort of like day 90 time frame, you know, at this level and for a different campaign, it's different. And like, no one, no one, no one can tell you that. Like if, if, if someone yep. could tell you that in real time, then what are you actually just doing? You're just, you're just clicking on in Facebook ads manager, right? You're just doing the, yeah. you're just doing the clicking. I, uh, I think there's, there's a lot of truth to that. Any kind of metric or target is very contextual to a, you know, a specific point in time and a specific business set of business objectives and there's a lot of entropy with anything that becomes a fixed target because um it loses its meaning and i think you know to the facebook point i think you have to separate maybe the the mythology that's arisen around that versus probably what was uh, the reality you know i think like what was it you know seven friends in seven days or something like that something like that yeah yeah i think people people kind of fetishize that but i think um there was not i don't think a clear breaking point where if you didn't hit that number, 
you know, it didn't work. And if you did, it, it, um, it worked. It's more about um, operational clarity and aligning a team on a, a goal. And it's, it's hard to do that when you say, oh, you know, this metric is contingent on, the, on X, Y, and Z, and, and everything is situational. Sometimes you have to draw a line in the sand. So I think it's, it's a trade-off. Um, but I think it's hard to say, you know, what was really the case at, at Facebook. I'm sure the, I, I mean, obviously the, their growth team did amazing work in the early days, but um, all of the stuff we read about it is just content marketing, really. And I think all this emphasis on growth frameworks and stuff, there's a lot of really valuable things there. Um, but the primary goal of all of that is just to um, attract leads to produce more content and sell courses and things like that. So you need to be mindful. Well, don't, don't even, don't even get started <laughs> on that. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess, I don't know. It just depends on like what you think about what, what growth is, right? I mean, there is a school of thought that is, hey, the only really systematic way to grow a product is to just experiment, right? And it's just, it's mm -hmm. there, you have some, um, you, you have some sort of like influx of traffic and I don't, Hey, I don't care. I don't care what the sort of genesis of that traffic is. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to optimize the experience for them. Um, and that's that to me, that that's not, that's not actually scalable because like the source of the traffic matters, right? The source matters and it's going to impact the experience that they have. It's going to impact the level of intent that they come in with. It's going to impact the level of knowledge of the product that they come in with. And so you've got to optimize, if you can opt optimize it, optimize the experience. Yes, but you have to optimize the experience for these different segments of traffic that are coming in and that, and that unified sort of purview of what I always say, the mouth of the funnel is not them opening the app or opening the product or whatever, you know, kind of medium we're talking about. It, the, the, the mouth of the funnel is them seeing the ad. It's them being exposed to the, ad, to the, to the product for the first time, right? And so all that stuff, building that kind of unified user experience across the acquisition, you know, source into um, the sort of down funnel experience in the app or in the product is super important. And that, that sort of growth hacker mindset, which is just like the source of the, the source of the user doesn't matter. They're all the same. It's just, it's demonstrably mm -hmm. not true. And it can be really dangerous, right? You end up sort of optimizing to, um, to the wrong sort of type of user, right? Um, which is in a lot of cases, you have more organic, you're a startup, you're early stage, you've got more organic traffic than paid because you're not running a lot of budget behind ads, right? So by definition, mm -hmm. you know, you've got less paid traffic or you have, you have less paid traffic than you're going to have in success because in success, you're going to be spending a lot of money on, on UA, right? Um, and so you're optimizing for these organic users, which is not the scalable source. The scalable source ultimately will be paid because organic, who knows if that baseline ever grows, right? Um, and, so, and so anyway, I could go on about this forever, but I think there's, that's well, the difference between that growth hacker mentality and the performance marketing mentality. I also think that, you know, the, the whole idea of growth as a function arose obviously with Facebook and with social networks in general, which, you know, have their own kind of unique model. And, you, you know, you're working with compounding network effects, um, mm -hmm. and the calculus is very different and people just wanting to apply that framework to, um, so, you know, an app, they're selling a widget or they're selling a subscription, right? It's, it's, it's much, it's much different. And it's in some ways it's less complex to, to sell widgets. Um, but you know, paid is much more dominant, I think. And it's much not, not linear, but, um, you're solving a, a more straightforward business equation and you need to calibrate everything around that. Right. That yeah, yeah. No, no. The, yeah. Of course. If, when you've got network effects, period, you're a different, 
product than if you're selling something that's just, I don't know, whatever, a weather app. Um, that, that, that there's no, there's, there's no, there's no benefit. You don't care how many other people use the weather app. It doesn't matter to you. Um, it doesn't, doesn't increase your, the, the sort of, uh, the value of your experience. Um, yeah. Okay. I wanted to touch on one, uh, kind of two more things. One was, okay, how, so I told you kind of my journey, uh, my, my sort of intellectual journey here. Um, how do you think, how does, how do, what's, what's the next year look like around that, around that internal calculus and around that calculus at a company saying, do we bring it, do we build in house or do we, do we go with an AG and, and all the sort of tectonic shifts that are happening right now? And across, across, across um, form factors, right? So it's not just mobile. You've got IDFA on mobile, but in parallel to all of that, you've got the, uh, the sort of like uh, uh, the privacy stuff that's happening on, on the, in, the, in the desktop web. There, there's there's, there's going to be a diminishment of the sort of, I think, the, the efficiency of, of, of paid advertising, right? For, in, in, with, with respect to like deterministic attribution. Um, or let me, let me phrase it another way. There's going to be an... A, a, uh, you're going to see a diminishment of deterministic attribution across across form factors, right? So, how does that impact the calculus now? I mean, going forward next year or two, how how are people thinking about this, and how is that going to change from right now? So, yeah, I think we're we're kind of entering into an era of fragmentation of the measurement standards. Generally speaking, um, you know, you're we're in the middle of you know large platform wars where there's uh, all sorts of incentives at play and and um it's not going to be smooth uh smooth writing there's certainly headwinds on mobile um web i think generally i see a lot more momentum there these days and i think you have uh, a better canvas a lot of the times uh with you know web-based acquisition i think there's no answer as far as oh well we should hire an agency or we should bring someone in-house what i think is the, the losers are going to be people who are just leaning on templates, right, that they've that they've built over the last you know handful of years on account management and paid media. Um, people are going to win or, or are thinking from kind of first principles um, and, you know, asking tough questions and, and just being super agile. And I think that can work with a great in-house team that can work with a, a great agency. Most people uh, will fail um, and there will be new sets of winners and losers. Um, I think mobile only, app only agency, I, I think is is not going to be a long term bet. I think you have to be cross platform these days. Um, so yeah, it's everything is just been going to become harder. I think so. A lot of the people that were coasting and taking all the easy money, I think, are in for in for a tough couple of years. So last question. Um which is something that I think we dis may disagree slightly on is the future of MMPs uh, in this kind of new post IDFA mobile landscape. My sense mm -hmm. is that MMPs have no role to play as such right now. Maybe they pivot to become other services, but the sort of core attribution, uh, the sort the core attribution service just sort of like ceases to be something that people need, at least to the mm -hmm. extent that they need it now. Now, of course, Android still exists and there's <clears> some <throat> percentage of opt-in traffic, but but that's not going to be enough to sustain the size of the MMP market as it is now. And, and, you know, assuming that like all of these companies don't pivot to completely other sort of lines of business, what am I missing here? How am I, how am I wrong about this? How do, how do MMPs uh, maintain a role 
in the mobile in the mobile ecosystem? So I don't think you're wrong that kind of the core attribution workflow is going to be disrupted at least on iOS. Um, and I wouldn't say I'm bullish either, but I do think um, you have to apply some nuance here. So I think you know SK Ad Network. Um, obviously, the, the disappearance of a, a generally available device identifier is going to diminish the value prop of an MMP, at least on iOS. But I think there are a few considerations on top of that. Um, the first, you know, one, I think there's a lot of implementation details that need to be clarified. But I think SKAD network, conversion value management, and so forth, those are jobs that will be done at least in part by software providers, I think. Um, obviously, the value there that's created is is more administrative and it's it's plumbing rather than you know an intelligence layer. But I think th there's a lot of money in plumbing, and that describes most of of marketing tech and, and middleware generally. And I think if you could if you could paint a picture of kind of the the macro landscape over the next two years, I think one we're going to see an increase in complexity and an increase in fragmentation on marketing measurement measurement. And I think. Uh, Generally, those are bullish drivers for software providers and, and analytics providers and, and kind of middleware solutions, because I think there's going to be value uh, in abstracting some of that complexity and making it available um, to marketers um, more easily. Um, and, you know, I think we need to keep in mind here the you and like most people listening to this podcast are kind of tech forward um, early adopters. I think that's maybe five to 10 percent of the market and the, you know, the median purchaser of marketing software, um, A, I think has a different degree of technical sophistication and, I, and uh, generally a total lack of technical resources on their end. And they're always gonna be purchasing um, marketing tech and, and marketing middleware. And they're really just looking for, you know, a dashboard to buy that tells them the numbers that they, that they want to see is perhaps a cynical take. Um, and, you know, I think a, a player that can provide say SKAD network management plus um, Android and whatever kind of conditions emerge there and perhaps um, a solid workflow around web measurement. I think that's an enterprise scale business. Um, obviously it's contingent on product execution there, but I think it's easy for marketers to um, overstate that and understate um, you know, the sales and marketing machines that these companies have built, especially the larger ones and the positioning that that gives them to kind of execute on ancillary opportunities. Um, so, you know, we'll see. Uh, one thing I am bearish on is the idea of a new kind of a new service provider emerging with that's centered on incrementality or some kind of um, incrementality measurement solution. Um, I don't think that's going to take meaningful market share or will, will be kind of an enterprise scale business. Um, I could certainly be wrong. If I had a if I had a crystal ball, I would say, you know, the bigger players will end up getting gobbled up by you know one of the bigger marketing clouds. Um, the laggards will will fail, um, and then people in the middle uh, are are going to be in a tough spot. But I think there's probably you know some solution in, in private equity for them at some point. Um, so that that would be my uh, my general take on the on the question. And and we measure the uh, the forward thinking attribution providers by the volume of blog posts published right <laughs> per, per week yeah. since since june <laughs> yeah it's, a, it's been a content marketing bonanza it's been so a, it's a whirlwind my inbox is choked 
with uh, yeah, which is the, the 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 ambiguity of the whole thing and the lack of clarity um, has has kind of created a con- good conditions to um, you know prognosticate and you know everyone's got their own crystal ball and and um, a lot of things to say on the matter. Yeah, that's that's definitely for sure. Uh, myself included. Uh, Grant Harbin, uh, thank you so much for joining me today. How how can people get in touch with you? How can people become customers of your business? How can people follow you on social media? So you can reach me on LinkedIn. Um, you can reach me at grant at headlight.co. Um, you can also reach me on Twitter, although I, I certainly do not post very often there. Um, and as far as Headlight goes, we are always open to have a conversation and be helpful kind of regardless of the, the business opportunity at hand. And obviously, if you're interested in a, in a partnership, absolutely give us a shout. Um, you know, we've spent the last couple of years refining, um, you know, really full stack offering across uh, performance media, creative production, uh, managed analytics, strategy advisory. And then, you know, I've been really fortunate to um, build a, a really great body of work to, to show for that. Um, our you know, typical client, we're working with growth stage consumer tech or digital commerce brands, although you know, we, we have gone down to the seed stage and, and helped companies go from zero to one and build a program. And we've gone all the way up to, you know, the, the Fortune 50 and helping, you know, enterprises um, build out, you know, direct to consumer muscle. Um, and we have been kind of cross platform from the start. And, you know, we've, we've worked with category leaders in subscription, uh, streaming media, entertainment, gaming, fintech, consumer SaaS, uh, e-commerce. Um, so we've taken a wide berth. And I think <clears throat> that was a tough hill to climb to start start a business. But now that we're there, I think we, we've built a pretty diverse uh, uh, viewpoint into kind of the performance marketing ecosystem at large. And I think um, is, a, is a point of different differentiation for us. Um, you know, anyone who works with us, you're working with a team of partners, all of whom have built growth programs at scale in-house before at, at you know, tech board, progressive uh, early adopters um, and companies. And you know, we've managed to close to half a billion in paid media investment, a large multiple of that in revenue. So, you know, if there's a puzzle that you're looking to solve um, at any scale, it's likely that um, we've seen it before and, and can be of service. So please, uh, please give us a shout. And thanks so much, Eric, for, for having me on. Let's um, let's do it again sometime soon.